once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. The church is described as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a people for God's own possession. But why, and for what purpose? Lead teacher Randy Pope finishes the series, The Church, with this message entitled, A People of God, which covers 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Free me from my sin still 
Who else but you, Lord, give strength to surrender? Who else but you, Lord? Who else but you? You alone, you alone, you alone make my heart surrender. I know you've got to hear that and just assume that I did everything in that song. And I, I want you to know Chuck did help me out. He really did. Oh, my goodness. It really was a, an interesting, uh, I'd never done anything like this when he encouraged me, let's get together and write a song. And I pushed back and pushed back. And, but he, there's a kind of a plan, a pattern, and you may have picked up on it or not. But basically, that was what so many of you are familiar with. Uh, we lost it all. He did it all. We get it all. And then prefaced it with, uh, he made it all, uh, which is what our camp adds to that, to be able to teach the gospel to our kids. So anyway, that's uh, kind of the genesis of it from a time back. Let's pray as we, uh, as we continue in this series. Father, we do pray now that you would, you would be our teacher, that we would hear from you, and not just from a, a broken vessel who uh, is a sinner like all others, but Father, from you who has given us a word that is an infallible word for rule and practice. And we pray that you would grant us now to gain much from having had this time together. And we ask it in the strong name of our Savior Jesus. Amen. Humanly speaking, I'd suggest two things, two requirements to make anything happen. Number one, you've got to have a will. Number two, you've got to have a way. Many of us have a will to do something just want something so badly, but we never find the way to make it happen. For instance, when I was a kid, I had a, I had a will, a determination. I'd learned the, that the earth was round, and I figured that if I'm here, that if I dig deep enough, long enough, I'm going to eventually get to the other side. And so I began to dig a hole. I don't know how many weeks I worked on this hole. I remember it was well over my head, and I'm still digging with a hope every night when I went to bed, I'm going to get closer tomorrow, and one day I'll hit the other side. I had the will, but I didn't have the way. Now, other people, they have, they have a way, but they just don't have the will to do something. For instance, for me, that'd be domestic work, yard work, stuff like that. I just don't have a will to do it, and it's just not going to happen. I could, but it's probably not going to happen well for me. You've got to have the two together. In fact, if you have neither of those two, you usually do not have a corresponding dream. You've got to have both. I'd suggest to you that probably you and I could look back over our past and say, okay, what was it? Athletically? Was it, uh, was it a music dream? Was it a business dream? And we can pick out, well, it was the will or it was the way. And something kept us 
from getting there. I'm going to suggest, too, that the, uh, the most important of those two, if you had to pick either one, would be the will. There's an adage that goes like this. We're all familiar with it. Where there is a will, there is a way. Uh, you don't believe that, just, just go, to, uh, go on the Internet. Just, just search around and just, uh, just call up or, or put in for a uh, tennis player or golfer with no arms. See what you find out. If I told you that I know a man who has arms no longer than three inches and just very, very much to the point that you can say he has no hands, but he has a few fingers that come from at, at the end of each limb, and they, maybe this, this long. And I said, here's a man that is a professional, professional tennis player coach. He's not on tour, but he's a, he's a pro. A teaching pro. Watch him. Just Google and see what you find. Here's a man that can take a golf club and he can hit a ball as far as you or I ever would. He's going to be able to shoot in the, the I don't know if it's scratch, but very, very low handicapper. Butch Lumpkins, his name, loves the Lord. But if you ask, if, if I said, hey, uh, do you think it's possible to, to play golf or tennis? To be able to throw a ball up and be able to to give a serve, to be able to, could you, could you do that without arms? No, there's not a way in the world. Well, where there's a will, there's a way. Just watch it. You see, this is so important, the will. Critically, critically important. So if I were to say to you who are mature Christians, I mean, further along in your faith, you're saying, I'm really a follower. Followers follow, and I'm following and I say, well, you just put out for this next year three or four things that you would love to see changed and your spiritual life, just anything that could change, what would it be? I bet among the more mature, I think you would see coming up in that three or four list over and over and over again would be, I would like to be more missionally effective. Many of us would say, I love the Lord, but I've gone all year and I can't tell you how God's really used me to impact somebody's life that maybe today they really are followers because God put me in their life. They just used me. I mean, if you say, I, I don't know that I've, I could say that. And I would love to be able to say that. It's critically important to me. But for some reason, it doesn't happen. Is it the will? Is it the way? I'm going to address the will from our text. And then at the very end, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something about the way. I'm not going to forget it. But I want us to focus for a few minutes on the will. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, the series that we're in is on the church. I'll give you an overview of that series very quickly, just so you can put it in context, see where we are. This is the last week of this series on the church. Three weeks I spent on the church's authority from the Gospels, then we went to the nature of the church, number two, and there talked first of all about the church as a family, then we looked at the church as a priesthood, and now today we're looking at the church as a people of God. So we're in verses 9 and 10 of 1 Peter 2, and this will complete the series. So let's read the text together. I'll just read it to you, just uh, you follow along as I read out loud. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, 
so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were, you once were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So here is the description of a of the people of God. He said, you're now a people of God. That's referring to anybody who's a real Christian, not the mature, not the go after. I'm talking, if you're truly a Christian, you're called the people of God. And this is what he says, just in a quick overview. Here's what he says about those of us that are inside a relationship with him. If you're outside and have no relationship, I call you a seeker. You're seeking answers to the faith. That's why you'd be here. And though primarily what I'm saying is to the family of God, explaining what it means to be the family of God, know this, seeker. You listen carefully because you're going to see why those of us who are would say, I am and I would have it no other way. In fact, you'll just see that there are some advantages here that they're beyond understanding. Now, here's the big question. We're a people of God, which says we're chosen. I'm not going to go into that any further in this message, but it does mean this. No, we didn't choose him. He chose us. That says we didn't merit it. We didn't do anything to earn it. We're a chosen people. It says we are a holy people. It says we are a royal people. It says we're a people called from darkness into light. I mean, all I can say to that is, wow, that's pretty amazing. But what if I'm a a really kind of a, a slow Christian? I'm not doing that well. I'm struggling. I'm fighting. You're still chosen, royal, holy, and called from darkness to light. That's unbelievable. So here's the question, the big question of all questions, why? Why would he do that? Why would he take those of us who are his and say, okay, you're a special people. I've made you a special people. You're holy. You're royal. You are that to me. So we'd go, well, why? Why did you do that? And he makes it very, very clear. One reason, so that. It's called a Hena clause in the Greek language. And it explains why whatever he's just said is so. And here it is, that we may proclaim his excellencies. There it is. You know, the first question of the catechisms, of the Westminster Catechism, is really answering the purpose of life. It really is, what is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him. How we do that? We proclaim His excellencies. That's it right there. Parents, you want to tell your kids why they're living? why it's important that they are alive and where they're going in life and what's everything. You say, it's this. It's to proclaim His excellencies. There it is. And when He talks about excellencies, it's talking about virtues, character, quality of life, character qualities of life, deeds that reveal the character qualities of life. He says, here's what we do, Christian. We just proclaim that. We're like an ad agency. That's who the church is. We're here for a reason. Have you ever wondered, why wouldn't God just say, okay, uh, you know, now you're a Christian, head on. No reason to stay here anymore. This is painful and all this struggling and sin. Just go on to heaven. Get the good stuff now. There's one reason he doesn't do that. And he says, so that you and I can stay here 
and proclaim his excellencies. Matthew 4, great text. You perhaps have been familiar with this. It's where Jesus is calling his disciples. And so he first of all goes to Peter and Andrew and they're fishing and they're fishermen. And so he says, okay guys, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they left, they left their, their fishing right there and they followed him. And then right after that, you see that he meets two other brothers and he says to James and John, who are mending their nets, they're fishermen too. He says, hey, I want you to follow me. They understood what that meant. They left their nets, it says, and left their father, which means it was probably the family business, the father obviously counting on these guys as he's getting older. And, and they, who knows the cost to that decision? But they said, okay, and they began to follow. And what he was saying is, I'm giving you something far more important than fishing for fish. I'm going to give you something that will cause everything else to pale in comparison. And that is, you're going to be fishers of men. Now, please, I don't want you to get this wrong. Oh, he's saying that if you go into full-time Christian work and you leave your job and you follow me, now that's the most important thing in the world. That is not what he's saying. He really isn't. I'm suggesting, to use the analogy, the fishing has to do with the things that we are longing for and going after in life, whether it be a comfortable lifestyle, uh, whether it be a, a great reputation, you just name it. Uh, great sports accomplishments, great this, great that. Doesn't matter what it is. He says, no, no, you lose that. Don't go after fishing records unless it has to do with men. You go after that which really, truly counts. But I'm sure that's still confusing because you say, well, it's more important what you do, Randy, than what we do because we're in the office and we don't talk to people and we don't get to, and you got to talk, witness to people and so forth. You know, the reality is not so. I can remember leaving the home when we were young parents with young children and maybe the conversation went something like this. Hey, Carol, what you got going today? She looks at me like I'm crazy. What do you think I'm doing today? I got these kids. I'm keeping kids today. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be cleaning the house. And I'm going to be doing this and that and the other. I say, oh, and I just say to her, <laughs> I'm fishing for men. And then I leave. <laughs> no, I didn't do that. Of course not. In fact, you know what I do to her? I look at her and say, I want you to remember this. What you're doing is every bit as honoring to the Lord as anything I'll do today. It's, how do we, what do we, what do we spend? I want to say, Carol, look, what, your investment in these children, what is that? And, and by the way, folks, parents, I'm just telling you, we spend so much of our energy, so much of our money, so much of our time to make sure they're better in this sport, that they're going to achieve this, that their friends are going to think highly of them because, and they're going to be able to get this, and they can have this education, and I'll spend all this, whatever it takes, I'm going to spend, spend, I'm going to do, do, I'm going to take, take, whatever it. And then we have to ask ourselves, how much of our passion and the heart behind all those things we do is so that one day they're going to know that there's nothing more important in life than proclaiming his excellencies because that's why God left him here. It's not to break fishing records. 
It's to be able to impact people. So he says, hey, here it is. Income, lifestyle, name, family, sports, all those things. It's really not what it's all about. I would say, parents, think about this this year. How do we train our kids to think about the most important thing in the world? And by the way, it's their hearts, not yours. You're not the Holy Spirit. You're not God. Maybe God uses you in a profound way to do that. Maybe not. But at least, is that not what we should aim for and fight for as best we can in our parenting? I know this. It all starts in the mind. God's got to take it beyond that. But we can get it to the mind of these kids. You see, I say it starts with the mind because if you don't believe the right beliefs, then your emotions are going to be far, far off from where they need to be. And, and, and we are so driven by emotion that our behavior typically follows our emotion. I use this, this illustration, a, a bear. You're in a, you're in a cabin, your little child is in a room and, and, and they're, they, they have their little teddy bears and they're just playing by, she's playing by herself maybe in there in the room and, and the door swings open and here is a grizzly bear standing at the door and the little girl looks up and what's her first belief oh a big teddy bear it moves this is going to be fun now the emotions have come in and it is a good thing i have a big bear and it's alive what's that child going to do behavior is going to be according to the the feelings oh i'm gonna go run hug the bear to the demise of the child Whereas if that child has a belief system that says, you know, that bear there, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kill me, then immediately the belief is going to transition into the emotion, and the emotion is going to be that of fear, and the fear is going to drive them to say, your behavior needs to be that window, though it's going to hurt to jump out. It could be very damaging, but not near as bad as being caught in the grip of this bear. I'm jumping out the window, and they actually do things they don't feel like they want to do. Because what they know to be true has driven them from that place. So parent, here's what we got to do. They got to at least know we cannot change anything beyond. But we got to be able to say they know they're here to proclaim the excellencies of our Savior. Now, having said that, three factors are in our text. And by the way, it's going to be like two minutes on each one. Three minutes. I mean, it's brief. I'm not going to say much. Don't have to say much. Just look at the outline. It's self-explanatory as you see the text. Three factors are beliefs that are found in the text that's going to incite the will of the heart of Christians. Here it is. First of all, God wants it. God wants it. So let's look at 1 Peter 2.9. But you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And here's the so that. The Hena Clause, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. So that you can proclaim. That's why he made us. And when you read we're a chosen race, it's talking about a selected people, a royal priesthood, means we're kingly servants. When he says we're a holy nation, it means we're a set-apart people. When he says we're a people for God's own possession, it means we're an acquired people. All to say this. We're a special people for a special mission. There it is, to proclaim His excellency. So number one, God wants it. 
Shouldn't that be enough? I would think so, but God's going to add to that. It's not just he says so. Let's look at number two. Others need it. It's not just that we're told to do it. There's the reality that others need it. That's what we have to believe. So the text says in verse 9, it says, but you're a chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now it says, so that you may proclaim the excellencies who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, he's going to use the idea of darkness and light here. Now, it's used in Scripture to refer to either the intellect of knowledge or of the heart, the moral issue of how we live. We can have the light of truth or we can be in the darkness of that which is not true. We can have the light of obedience and being uh, true to, the, to the, the Word of God, or we can have our souls in a dark place where we're not following Him at all. And He says, so here it is, I've called you out of darkness. Out of darkness. And darkness refers to the now, and it refers also to the eternal. Not just right now, but just think about right now. Seeker, here's where you come in. Seeker, you, you know, what is your life like right now? Well, life's good, and I'm enjoying life, and things are good. Maybe so, but do you have truth? Are you living in darkness as to that which is really important for all eternity? Or is there a darkness there? Or we think about our moral condition. I'll assure you, folks, we have no clue how dark the heart really is outside of Christ. And not that we're worse people than in terms of our behaviors. I know that. But, but it, I mean, there's such sin in our heart that God says, look, you have no idea what has to be covered by my righteousness. So he said, you're called out of darkness now, but what about eternally? There's the real issue. What about eternally? Or put it this way, do we really believe in hell? How many times is hell going to ever be mentioned in church today? Anywhere. Probably very little. It's the most unpopular topic of all topics for anybody to hear about. People say, I don't want to hear about hell, don't want to think about hell. And you know what happens as a result of that? People forget it as if they don't even believe in it. I've shared this before, but I'm going to say it again. How many times I've talked to somebody who says, hey, I'm, my, my, my father just passed away. And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. And this is somebody who loves the Lord. And I go, I'm, I really am so sorry for your loss. Well, yeah, it's bad, I know. But, but there's a silver lining. That's a good thing. He was suffering so much. And now he's not suffering. And that, at least, you know, he's out of this pain and suffering. Well, that makes me think, well, the father must be a believer. I say, so your dad's a Christian? Oh, I don't know. I never saw any real evidence of it. I, I hope something may be happening. I, I don't know. Now, I'm never going to say anything at this point. But inside, I've got to be thinking, do you not believe in hell? I lost a dad who I have no no assurance, confidence at all that he's in heaven. And I tell you, that, that's not a comforting thought. It's not. If you really believe in a hell, and so what do we do today? Well, I just don't believe in it, therefore I don't have to feel bad about it. Christian, if we believe that, we go, wait, there is a strong motivation to proclaim his excellencies because people perish forever. I had two groups. I've shared this before, I know, but I had two groups over a year ago. And these were guys that were following Jesus. I mean, they were, they were really going after Jesus. And I asked them, independent of each other, 
I said, give me the reasons that you think that we should proclaim the excellencies of him. Why should we do that? And I got three, four, five reasons from each group, but I'd never heard from either one of them because people perish forever. It was like that's not even on the list of motivation. No, it is, folks. The others, they need it. No doubt about it. And he says, but there's the there's the, the positive side too, the, and taken into marvelous light. The whole idea here is, man, there's sonship, there's adoption, uh, there's forgiveness of our sin, there's, we're made heirs of, of, his, of his grace and righteousness. I mean, everything of his riches, we, we're just given all this stuff. See, I'm convinced if we could see a picture of all God has gotten for us just the day we enter into relationship with him, we would be so overwhelmed with appreciation, we'd be thinking constantly, how do I give this away to somebody else? They need this. They've got to have this. So there's the second reason. Yeah, God wants it, but others need it. And there's a third, and that is we've got it. We've got it. Let's read verse 10. Verse 10 says, for you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So first of all, it says, you were not a people of God. In fact, if through Scripture it says we're alienated, we're hostile, uh, we're enemies of God, we're uh, deserving eternal punishment. And it says, you had not received mercy. Now know this, mercy is the other side of the coin of grace. The two are very much the same thing. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. He said, you'd not receive mercy. And that is a, in the Greek language, it's a perfect participle, doesn't mean anything to you, but that means that this is a long continued situation. But then it says, but you have now received mercy. This is in the aorist tense as a participle, and now it's saying that this is a decisive point in time. In one moment, boom, it all changed. It's not when you became a really, really, really strong Christian. It's the day you came to faith in Jesus. At that time, you received mercy. It's like when Jesus was with the lady that was a prostitute. She breaks that little vial of perfume and begins to wash his feet. And the big debate, okay, is this smart? Should she be doing this and all? And he finally concludes the, the whole discussion. He says, let me tell you, those who are forgiven much they love much. We understand that we got it. And we didn't deserve it. We're forgiven much. Man, that's our motivation. Not in order that God will love us, but because God loves us. I put it this way. Go to the cross. I say it all the time. Stare at the cross. See what he really did for us. And see if it doesn't break the heart to say, I got the will. I want to proclaim his excellencies. I don't want to just go fishing every day and hopefully break some new records, impress people with my fishing. No, I want to proclaim his excellencies. Now, let me conclude. I realized that when when I saw this text, before I ever started really getting it prepared, I said, this is not going to be a very popular thing. You know why I say that? Because 
People don't want to hear about the topic of evangelism, the topic of, of being missional. People don't want to hear that. Christians don't want to hear it. I know that. I talked to a leading publisher, one of the, the great publishing firms. They said, you know, we don't, we don't do books on evangelism anymore. Used to a lot, but we don't do that anymore. It's the last thing people want to read. I said, really? Christians don't want to read about sharing their faith and evangelism? Oh, no, 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 no. I said, why is that? He said, because it makes them feel guilty. And they're not going to do it. And so why do they just want to read something that makes them feel bad about what they're not doing? So they won't read it. I go, wow. Well, do people want to hear messages on it? Well, no. Because as Christians, we have to do I mean, it's just obvious. Okay, this is something we probably should be doing. But I want you to know this, folks. If you think for a minute that the reason I'm preaching this is to say, here's what you need to do, and you're going to feel badly about not doing it. And as a result, you'll try to do it, and maybe you will. I'd be foolish to do that because you're not going to do it on that basis. No, you need to know the will, but here's the real issue, folks. You can't and won't do it if you have the will and don't have the way. You've got to have a way to do it. What is the way? I don't know. It's a lot of different ways. But I'll tell you this, if you don't know a way to do it, and a way you're convinced is a very helpful way that really does benefit people, you're not going to do it. You just feel badly. So, okay, forget this one. That's why I would not give this message if I can't say what I'm going to say right now. I don't want you just to have a will. I want you to have a way. When I, about a month before I moved here, two months, I don't know how long, right before I moved to Atlanta, when we began Perimeter, one of my two mentors Frank Barker, he looked at me and he said, Randy, don't let there be a year in the life of perimeter that you're not training people, helping them know how to share their faith. Make it easy for them. Make it workable for them. There's not been one year in over 40, in 42 years, not been one year that we haven't been offering that. A lot of you have taken it. You can't take it enough, though, I'm telling you. you got to get, I, I think of it this way. It's like we have this empty tool belt. The day we become a Christian, we're given this tool belt, and it's empty. And now our goal is to go find a tool and put it here and find another tool until we feel so well-tooled that we feel comfortable saying, I'm going to proclaim the excellencies, and when I get what comes back at me, I'm going to have the tools to deal with it. If you don't have the tools, you're going to say, not even going to try. It just won't happen. I shared this story about a man in my journey group, discipleship group, as I do each year. I challenge them. I said, you bring somebody, find the most antagonistic person against the things of Christianity. If you can get them to come have a lunch, let's have a lunch together. And I'll model for you the tools that I'm teaching you. And so one of the guys that I'll call him, Bill, and I asked Bill if he would find, you know, like everybody else, would you find somebody? And he said, I know who it needs to be, and it's, it's my future brother-in-law and I don't like him he doesn't like me and you know blah 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 and I said well get him he said I don't know well he comes to me and says all right I, I found somebody and I said well that's good who is he, he said it's Bill I said well that's good that's what we were hoping he says not know what I'm hoping <laughs> he said I'm doing it because I'm supposed to but he said I, I don't want I, I don't it's not going to be good I'm just telling you it's not going to be good I said well let's give it a shot so anyway, we meet at this old Mexican restaurant. I'm the last of the three to get there. They're sitting there, you know, talking to each other. And, and uh, maybe they're not talking to each other. I don't know. But I come in, and uh, 
So all I do is I say, hey, I don't know much about you, but I'm glad to meet you. And, you know, I, I've, I've talked to my friend here, and he says that he says that y'all are, you know, soon to, you know, be brother-in-laws and this, that, and the other. And I don't even get any further than he puts his hand up and he stops me. And he says, listen, I'm a Baptist. <laughs> that makes me okay. You okay with that now? Are we good? We've covered that? We good? Now, I would like for you to put yourself in my seat at that moment. <laughs> what do you say? What do you do? Well, I would assume that anybody without the right tools is going to go, whoops, I think enough is enough right now. Man, ins inside, I'm, I'm kind of grinning. I'm thinking, this one will be fun because I knew I had the right tools. I pulled out one little tool. I knew it would be perfect for him. I pulled out this one little tool Within 10 minutes, he's saying, so you don't mind meeting with me for four weeks? I said, well, I'll be happy to with the condition that you do what I ask you to do, read this much of scripture during each week and this, that, and the other. He said, oh, no, I'll do it all. I will, I will, I will. Good. Let's meet next week. So we put it on our calendar when we'd meet. We all got in our three different cars. We drove off. About five minutes into the drive, I get a phone call. It's from my friend. My friend calls me, and he is crying. He's literally crying. And I said, well, what's wrong? He said, I just talked to my sister. She called me. And she said, what happened? I said, what do you mean? And he mentioned, he said, Bill just met with a preacher. And you were there. Met with a preacher, and he's excited about meeting with him for four weeks. What happened? And I asked my friend on the phone then, I said, can I ask you to be honest? Did you hear me say anything, do anything, anything that you went, wow, that's amazing. How did you do that? And his response to me, this was his response. He said, anybody could have done what you did. <laughs> I said, yeah, that's it. That's my point. Now, maybe, maybe you're not even the one that wants to do the verbalizing talking part because you're too you know, introverted, you're quiet, you're shy, this, that. Good. I got another tool for you, and I got another tool for you if you're this, and I got it. And so we just train people in these tools to say, everybody find your tool, and then once you get your tools, let's go proclaim the excellencies, and you won't mind doing it if you feel well-equipped to do it. You got to have the way to go with the will. And that's what our Express Your Faith is. I'll give you some equipping, some tools, It'll get you started. We'll even offer to you each week to have some coaching and training to help you use those tools better and better and better. But you at least need to know what the tools are, at least get started. So I'm going to encourage you. I don't know how many years are left for me to be able to even come to this congregation and say, come, let me train you, let me train you. But I, I get the tools. Don't just say, okay, I got a will, but I'm not going to do it because I don't have a way. If you got the will, come get the way. And I'm going to invite any of you, I mentioned it earlier about about coming to Taste the Perimeter. At the very end of Taste the Perimeter, I tell a very, very encouraging story. You'll love the story. It's very inspiring. Hope you'll come tonight. But at the very end, I offer you a, a plan for less than one minute per day. I mean, it's really true. You take one minute, and I'll give you a little plan that will enable you, I'm convinced, to start seeing the change, whether it be this is the change you pick out of your three or four this year, I would love to see this happen. You need a plan to make that happen. And I'll give you just a little insight in how to get that plan started.
So I hope you'll come to Taste of Perimeter, be a part of that. I'm not just trying to get you to things. I want to get you helped by getting the things that help you get to the place that we want the people of this church to get to. My prayer is, folks, if you're in Christ, let's proclaim His excellencies. This year, let's proclaim it. If you're a seeker, you let us help you see the cross, see what Jesus has done. Something will happen inside, and you'll say, I think I want to proclaim His excellencies. As we pray together, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that you would grant us, you would grant us even now, to find the will and the way to follow you if we're not followers, and if followers to proclaim your excellencies until you come back or you take us home. Grant that to be the year 2019, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks for coming. Randy just was telling me right then he forgot to uh, conclude the story. He kind of told about Bill and that interaction and that conversation four-week process. Uh, the rest of the story is, is he ended up becoming a believer. And uh, his brother-in-law, he and his brother-in-law love each other now. So there's the power of God right there. And uh, yeah, leading a Bible study in his church. So uh, God transforms lives and he uses us to do it. And so let's be praying for 2019 that just start out with a simple prayer. Randy will talk more about this. Uh, like he said, at Taste of Primer, he talks a little bit about this. Just one person. Ask God, use me in one person's life um, to, to transform, to, to bring them out of darkness into his marvelous light. And just, just if, if God granted that request, just from the, this room right here, the impact, the eternal impact and exponential impact that would happen from this room uh, would be tremendous. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day. Thank you.